Do you have joy in your life? Do you feel fulfilled? Are you finding these gifts in recovery, or are you still waiting for them to come? Welcome to episode 144 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Lucy, Gregory, and Faye. They used the donation button on our website. Thank you, Lucy, Gregory, and Faye, for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we at The Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experience. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. I hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I will be your host today. Joining me is co-host Brooke. Hi there. Hey. The first segment of today's episode of The Recovery Show will be our discussion of one of the gifts of Al-Anon. Following a short break, we'll talk about our lives in recovery, about how we practice these principles in all our affairs. We will follow that with your email or voice contributions and some brief news about the podcast before closing. Since this is the the first of what I hope will be a series of uh, episodes on what are sometimes called the gifts of Al-Anon, I want to read a little bit from the book From Survival to Recovery, where these are found. And in my copy, it starts on page 267. I think there are a couple different printings of this book or something that have different numberings. It says, if we willingly surrender ourselves to the spiritual discipline of the 12 steps, our lives can be transformed. We can become mature, responsible individuals with a great capacity for joy, fulfillment, and wonder. Though we will never be perfect, continued spiritual progress can reveal to us our enormous potential. Many of us discover what our fellow members already know, that we are both worthy of love and loving. We learn to love others without losing ourselves, and we accept love in return. Our sight, once clouded and distorted, can clear enough for us to perceive reality and recognize truth. Courage and fellowship replace fear. It becomes possible for us to risk failure and develop new, previously hidden talents. Our lives, no matter how battered and degraded, will offer hope to share with others. We begin to feel and know the vastness of our emotions without being slaves to them. Our secrets no longer have to bind us in shame. As we gain the ability to forgive ourselves, our families, and the world, our choices expand. With dignity, we stand for ourselves without standing against others. Serenity and peace will have new meaning as we allow our lives and the lives of those we love to flow day by day with God's ease, balance, and grace. No longer terrified, we discover that we are free to delight in life's paradox, mystery, and awe. We laugh more. Faith replaces fear and gratitude comes naturally as we realize that our higher power is doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Can we really grow to such proportions? As we accept life as a continuing process of maturation and evolution toward wholeness, we gradually begin to notice these changes. We may see them first in those who walk beside us. Sometimes these changes happen slowly or haltingly and occasionally with great bursts of brilliance. As we work the steps, we move ever closer toward light, towards health, and towards the higher power of our understanding. As we watch others grow, we realize we are also changing. That's quite a set of promises there. Although I I heard it said that we don't in Ellen and we don't call them promises because we've had enough in our lives of broken promises. Mm. So they're also referred to as the gifts of Ellen. Okay. To me they they also echo the uh, the promises in the AA big book. Right. I I'm sure you heard echoes of some of those uh, in in the words. Yes. So we want to talk today about the first part, um, I found a website, and there's a link. There will be a link to it on the website at therecoveryshow.com/slash/144. Um, I found a website that breaks it up into thirteen of these of these gifts, and the first one there says we will become mature, responsible individuals with a great capacity for joy, fulfillment, and wonder. Though we may never be perfect, continued spiritual progress will reveal to us our enormous potential. So I want to sort of uh, focus on that one today. And of course, we like to start at the beginning. We like to start at what it was like before. And so I think start by asking you, uh, you know, when you first came into the program, if you had read or heard that statement 
about becoming mature, responsible individuals with a great capacity for joy, fulfillment, and wonder. When you had just arrived in Al-Anon, what would you have thought about that and whether that applied to you? I would have said, I am mature, I am responsible, and I can have joy. <laughs> I wouldn't, I didn't have, I wasn't aware of how unhappy I was. I guess I was aware that my coping mechanisms were not effective and not, not helping me with my life at that time. But I didn't think I didn't, I don't know if I thought or I didn't want to accept that I needed to change. I mean, for me, it was sort of a unique experience when I first came in because, um, my husband is an AA and when he and I first met, he was drinking and I come from an alcoholic a dysfunctional and, and family mm -hmm. and about two or three months into our relationship, I told him you have, you can't, if you and I are going to be together, you can't be drinking. Uh -huh. And it was a long, I mean, he went and stopped drinking, I think almost the next day after this happened. Um, but of course the first months were, were challenging for him because it's hard. And, I thought I was fine. I didn't realize I had any, I had any disease. I thought my father was the alcoholic. I was successful. I was owned my own apartment. I was, you know, working in finance. I, by all means of out of the outside, I was fine. Yeah. And slowly as my husband got better, he went from being, you know, being better to really being spiritual. And I would look at him and he wouldn't get frazzled at things anymore. And I went through a very difficult time at work and I couldn't stop obsessing. And after two failed starts in Al-Anon, he put me in touch with a wife of one of his friends in AA. And his friend's wife was just so serene. And I thought, I, I give up. I can't, I, I can't live anymore without obsessing about things. And I make myself crazy and sick with worry. And there just has to be another way. And the third time I went in, I went to a wonderful Saturday meeting. My sponsor was in that meeting. And I don't know, it just stuck. And um, I have a lot of support in that, in that meeting that I didn't feel I had before. I have about, I would say, two or three people besides my sponsor who I can call any time to talk to them about, about anything. And it's just, very, it's just a very different. I just feel different. Than I did a little over a year and a half ago. I had a similar sort of feeling that to what you expressed that, well, when I came in here, I thought, yeah, I'm a mature, responsible individual. If anybody had asked me, I mean, I didn't think that because it wasn't something that I thought about. I just, you know, I had, as you say, I had a good job, I owned a house, I was raising, you know, a couple of children and, uh, well, money was a bit of a problem. I knew there was some responsibility problems around money. But basically, I felt like I took care of stuff and I did the things that, um, you know, I was supposed to do. And isn't that the, sort of the definition of being mature and responsible? I mean, we were, you know, wasn't wasn't relying on, on my parents to get by or anything like that. So I must be, must be an adult and mature and all that. But I look at this mature, responsible individual, and then I also think, was I mature towards parenting myself and responsible towards parenting myself? And if I look back, I, I wasn't. And I think that's what happened to me as it, as, as I came into recovery, as I started to work, the process was that I came to see that there were definitely ways in which those words did not apply to me. There was not a whole lot of joy in my life at that point when I came into the program. That is certainly true. And I think there were things that made me feel fulfilled, but I also felt very, um, empty is not quite the word I want here, but that, you know, there were things that I wanted that, that just didn't seem possible. And they weren't like pie in the sky things. It wasn't like, oh, I want a mansion in a Rolls Royce and I want to be able to, you know, fly to Paris for the weekend. It was just, um, I wanted my life to be better. I wanted my life to, to, you know, have happiness and serenity. And, and not that I understood that word serenity either. Fulfillment is, is something, and joy and fulfillment definitely are things that, that I didn't have 
Um, I think I could still have a sense of wonder. I could go out in the e- in night and look up at the sky and 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 wonder at the at the stars or go to the Grand Canyon or something like that. I could. I think I had a sense of fulfillment, but I was getting it from material things, and I was always needing more material need things to fill to fulfill the feel fulfilled yeah. and be joyful. Um, cause I grew up with a lot of compare and despair. And the only way I knew how to deal with compare and despair was to work as hard as I could to make money, to buy those material things that I never had when I was a kid. And, you know, I never had the, I don't think I had the material thing for sure. I didn't have the material things as a child. And, I don't think I had a lot of the nurturing things either. So I was really empty. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really know, you know, I thought I was happy, but I don't, you know, looking back, I, I don't, I probably really wasn't happy at all. I was just trying to fill this God sized hole with, with all types of outside things. And one thing I've learned in this program and through doing my fourth step and something that I've committed, committed to like learning is how to take care of myself and love myself and like, like myself, regardless of what is going on around me and what other people have or what they're doing. Could you say a little bit more about compare and despair? Because I, I had, I think I have an understanding of that, but it's not a phrase that I've really heard before. The way I define it is that I'm always looking at others and thinking that I don't have enough or I'm not good enough or I don't know enough or I'm not smart enough. And I heard, I heard in a meeting once that someone said the definition of self-esteem or the definition of lack of self-esteem is that you always think that there's someone above you and someone below you. Mm. And for me, that's really the compare, the compare and despair. Like I, I mean, I have a very close friend who had a, had a baby and it was really in the beginning tough for me not to like wonder why I didn't have a baby yet, but there are like reasons why I haven't had a baby yet. And when the time is right, that will happen too. But I immediately go like about have and have not. Why does this person have this and that? And I don't have it. I know we talk in the program about comparing our insides to other people's outsides too, that Mm -hmm. their life looks so wonderful and so perfect. Uh, And and our life looks like such a mess. Um, and, and that can't help, I think, but contribute. And, and so, yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying there. I mean, I, I live in a neighborhood and my kids went to um, an elementary school where there actually was quite a range of uh, incomes in that particular school. It ranged from uh, people you know, living in, and not real low income, but people living in, in small apartments to people whose like front entry was bigger than my house. And so I could go to visit my kids' friends and I could feel like, yeah, we're doing okay. Or I could feel like, how come we don't live in this house? Um, not that I necessarily wanted to live in that house, but just, you know, why, why do they have it and I don't? Why are they both doctors and we're not? Um, whatever it is. Yeah, I definitely have that. And then one thing my husband reminds me is that people come to my apartment and they're like, they, you know, I have, a, we have a very nice, I like to do decorating. I mean, we have a really nice apartment. And he was saying to me, like, you have to, re- I have to remember given where I came from, it's a really a great gift. All that, all that I ha- do have in terms of, you know, a nice house, a wonderful husband, you know, food to eat every day, like just to really, Sometimes he has to right-size me. Not so much anymore, but in the beginning he did. I, I like that, yeah, right-size. And I think you also touched on this notion that our definition of something like fulfillment changes. Mm-hmm. Just as our definition, we talked about our definition of responsibility changing, where responsibility to me meant making enough money, owning a home, keeping my kids fed and clothed. and And it was all about sort of outward stuff, you know, doing my job at work. Something that my sponsor keeps like saying to me is that I, to find things that make me happy, things that I like to do. Um, because I, I actually left my job in October for, it's a very long story that 
I don't know if it comes up through the podcast, I'll bring up the details, but it was not a healthy situation for me. I needed to drop the rope and I've been spending a lot of, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out what I like to do and being fulfilled, not by going to work every day, but being fulfilled by cooking dinner and being fulfilled by doing exercise and learning that there are things about me that I, that I like to do that are not material things. And that's new behavior for me. Yeah. Like to go to the movies. Didn't know that before. I remember when my wife was in, in the rehab, um, her therapist would tell her, you need to be a human being, not a human doing. Yep. And, and I think about that and I think about that in, in part as I'm, within probably 10 years or less of retiring and a lot of my definition of who I am is, is tied up in, in what I do for my, for my job. What am I going to, who am I going to be when I don't have that? One of the joys of this program is it gives me the ability to ask that question. So uh, fulfillment is another one where our definition sounds like for both of us, our definition of fulfillment has has changed as we've started to work a program of recovery. And you definitely have touched on that. Is there anything in this statement, for example, though we it may never be perfect, continued spiritual progress will reveal to us our enormous potential? I mean, I don't think if you'd said to me spiritual progress a decade ago, I would have had a clue what that meant. <laughs> me neither. Um, and is that something that is now, um, has meaning to you and is something that you look for in yourself? Yes. Um, what I'm going through, like at the moment is I'm undertaking this job search. Uh, I'm undertaking a job search and it's, it's a full-time job. I know that it's a cliche. I, that was a cliche I didn't believe, but it is taking me about 25 hours a week to really work this job search. And I, um, as part of, you know, my departure, I got an outplacement package, which is basically coaching on how to find a new job. This experience that I thought would be so overwhelming and self-esteem destroying has actually been confidence boosting and has helped me build, build my self-esteem. And I, and I see this continued spiritual progress can reveal to us our enormous potential. I think, you know, I just finished doing step four. I have some odds and ends to do. It took me like eight months to do it. And I feel, I do feel like I've made a lot of progress and I'm able to see my potential. And I think two years ago or a year and a half ago, I would have been too afraid to quit my job mm -hmm. because I would have had so much fear. And, you know, there are certain reasons why I quit. And now I feel like there's so much, I feel so much wonder and so much potential and I know it's not because of the job search program. I know it's because of my commitment to the Al-Anon program and my commitment to working, you know, working the steps and being spiritual and, and trying not to control things. So this means a lot to me. Yeah. It's interesting for me. It's interesting for me to look at where I came from and when I came into the program at Almost the same time I started going to started going to church again. Um, I had grown up in a particular religion and then went away from it when I was in college and didn't come back for almost 30 years. And I came back at pretty much the same time that I came into Al-Anon, probably for a similar reason, that I was really unhappy and, and you know, all those, all those emotions, angry, fearing, despairing, etc. And I was looking for something. And I didn't really know what I was looking for, but when... When I walked into that church the first, almost the first day, I felt right back at home and I felt like, oh, this is something that I had been missing and didn't know I was missing. This nourishment for the part of me that's not physical and not intellectual. Um, although in, in the particular church that I go to, there is a lot of intellectual uh, stimulation as well. And so I sort of found simultaneous spiritual progress in there and and in Al-Anon, and I feel like they supported each other and fed each other to a large extent. But I certainly wouldn't have, have used those words. I wouldn't have 
you know, what is spiritual? I don't know. I mean, you know, I'm just concerned with day to day. I know. I didn't, I didn't really have much. I was, I mean, the step three and God and higher power is still confusing to me because I, f- I feel like I came from a, from a family and from just a way, a way I was of thinking that if I worked hard enough, I could control everything. And yeah. intellectually, I still am not sure if I believe that there's something that makes something outside of people that makes things happen. Mm-hmm. But I just try, you know, I'm, I really try to work the program. And so I'm, you know, I like, I have this belief, but I let go of it. I mean, it's not, I, someone said to, in a meeting today, how is it serving you? That, that belief wasn't serving me very well. So I try very hard to let go of it. And I, as I let go, and I think it's the spirituality in me, I see that things seem to just work themselves out and it might not be the way I would have wanted them to work themselves out, but they do. And I'll give you like an example of actually something that worked out really nicely. My prior company overpaid my income tax last year. And then I got an extra like chunk of change Mm -hmm. in the month of February. And I mean, I guess I can think that that's due to, you know, income tax regulations and calculations, but it is money that I got that I wasn't expecting that really made my, my payment package from the company go an extra month. And that was, you know, pretty nice. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. and, you know, I also think it's, it has to, you know, I have a lot of, I had, I don't know if I do anymore, a lot of sort of anger and resentment and feelings towards leaving that old job. And I, you know, I've come to a place where I don't want to go back there in my mind because it doesn't serve me. And then look, this wonderful little gift came from them. Yeah. One of the things that I found, um, and I found it really at the church to a large extent was, um, a joy in working with young people with teenagers in particular. And this sort of came, came to me as my, my own children became teenagers and I was like, Hey, they're kind of cool. Um, I kind of enjoy these people, you know, when, before they became teenagers, it was like, Oh my God, they're going to be teenagers. Oh, it's going to be horrible. And I found a joy and I found a potential, uh, an, an ability, if you will. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of a word here, but, um, that I, I could work with, with young people. I could work with the teenagers and I could connect with them and in a way that, like they accepted me and, and they would, some people would actually come to me with, you know, these are not my own kids and they're coming to me for like life help. And like, this is amazing. I never thought that this is something I would do. I mean, I guess if I look back, I can sort of see, I was, I was a college professor for a while and, and I definitely enjoyed working with the college students, but I didn't, I didn't know that I, that I had this. And I think maybe I didn't also, I think that part of it is, is learning in the program how to do things like listen, mm-hmm. uh, to listen without judgment. And I think that's really, in, in my opinion, that's really huge when I'm working with, with kids because I remember how I was when I was that age and I was like not secure in myself. And I was, I was always afraid that people were going to be judging me or sure that they were judging me and afraid of being put down and being laughed at. And, and so I feel like that the ability that I found, the potential that I found to be able to do that is you know, really something I didn't know I had. I, you know, I felt before program that I got a lot of feedback at times that I was not empathetic and not understanding of, of other people and not listening, you know, not being able to meet people where they're at. And I think through working this program, that's changed. Like I, I, when I listen in meetings, I have this, I guess, finally I'm learning empathy and really being able to feel what that other person is feeling. And I think that's spiritual progress and also, you know, let, let things go. Like I had, I have a new friend and she said some things that upset me. You know, my husband and I can banter a lot in front of other people and some people don't take that the right way. And she made some comments about it. And I was really, you know, I was really upset. And the old me 
would have just like iced her out and stopped being stopped trying to forge a friendship. And I did like the opposite. I, I took some space and, you know, I didn't, I didn't see her for two weeks. Um, I usually see her after a meeting and we have lunch with another friend and I took some space. And then two weeks later I thought, you know what, maybe I should just go eat, go have a dinner with her one-on-one. And I'm looking at this enormous potential because I have enormous potential to open myself to other up to other people. And, you know, I really let, I really let this go. And I went to dinner with her and I had a wonderful time. And I just, I I guess I'm learning the enormous potential of taking what you like and leaving the rest. And, you know, I know what, I know she didn't mean what she said the way she said it. She's one of those people just has no filter and she is a caring person. And, I think for me, that's spiritual progress to really have been able to take space, take care of, you know, my feelings about it, process it, and then re-engage when I was, when I felt more centered. Yeah, that's, that's a great example. One of the, one of the things that the program has, that I have learned is in, and I think you talked about this, about finding the things that I enjoy, finding the things that, that give me joy, give me fulfillment, give me wonder. Uh, And also understanding that, you know, I have the freedom to indulge in these things if, when I have the time and ability and, and it's not taking away from, you know, something else important, whether or not the other people in my life want to. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I know I've talked before about I really enjoy going to, to live music and, and not, not like, you know, big concerts or anything, just, uh, some local performer who's, um, you know, singing for a couple hours in a, in a local coffee shop or a bar or something. And I enjoy doing that. And my wife does not. And when the kids were still living at home, they might, or they might not. And being a, a dyed in the wool, uh, bread in the bone codependent, I always thought, well, I can't go to these things if everybody else doesn't want to. And, you know, I learned in Al-Anon that that's not, that's not true, that I can, I can take time for myself. I can take time to do the things that, that give me joy, that give me fulfillment. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, I make space for that in my life and, and I don't make space for that in my life at the total exclusion of, spending time with my wife of spending time with my children of spending time at work, uh, you know, uh, but I can do that. And, and so for example, every Monday night, um, one of the local, uh, watering holes has uh, a local performer in, and I used to, the sometimes very rarely, but sometimes post on their Facebook page who it's going to be, but usually it's just, I'm going to go there and somebody's going to be playing some music and, some days I'll really get into it and some days it'll be like, yeah, it's okay. It's just something I can do. And, and I never really understood before that that was, that was possible. Yeah. I think I've learned in a similar like lesson in the program and I like to go to the movies. Yeah. You said, and I also thought I can't go to the movies by myself. And, you know, I have all this time now and I am being very productive, but I'm also trying to say, you know, when am I going to get this time back? So if I want to go to the movies at four 30 on a Monday, like I go and I have a really great time. And the bonus of that is that it helps me with my serenity because it helps me. And I keep looking at spiritual progress and potential, you know, it helps yeah. me calm down. It, you know, piques my interest in other things and helps me take my mind off of of stuff that's stressing me out. And then the added bonus is I have fun with me Mm -hmm. and that's new. I always thought there had to be like somebody else there and I like it. I think it's fun and I'm quite happy going to the movies by myself and the theater by my house has those reclining chairs, which I guess, are pretty common in other places in the country, but not so much where I live. And so I have a ball yeah. in the reclining chair with the electronic seat and the popcorn. And I, I, and I think for, for me and Alan on this, that's what spiritual progress is, is, is also these little things, just making these little changes that it's not going to be something 
huge. I, I had lunch with my parents on Sunday and I haven't seen them in a very long time because as I went through this program, I had to detach with an ax with them to get myself better. And we had a wonderful, yeah, we had a wonderful time, but I noticed my father making some faces about the way my mother was behaving. And before I would have asked him about that Mm -hmm. and, you know, been in ACOA and wanting to know and fix, and I was triggered a little bit. And then I said, eh, I don't really want to know. Yeah. That's, you know, it's these, I think in the program, it's like focusing on these small things that make life so much, so much just easier. Oh, isn't that true? Wow. So we, we talked about sort of where we came from. We talked about where we are now. And, and of course we might also say, well, where do we see ourselves going? What are we looking forward to? How do we see this, this gift, this promise uh, becoming even more true? What would you say? That's a big question. In my in my career coaching, they tell us to answer that if we continue doing the hard work, opportunities will come. So we're just focused on what's right in front of us. That's a good answer, actually. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, uh, this is a really hard question to answer, and mm-hmm. I don't know what I don't. You know, I in the future, I hope I have a new job. I hope that I'm able to apply my program so that I don't get totally overwhelmed. I hope that I find balance and I hope that I have a nice, healthy child soon with my husband and that we have a nice nurturing home. And I feel like he and I are getting there. I mean, it's hard with two, with two people who are touched by this disease, but in different ways and both trying to get better. It's challenging at times because we both have, triggers and we come from environments where we know how to push those triggers, but, you know, slowly by slowly with the commitment that he has to his AA and that I have to Alan on things get, you know, things get better and better. We had this typical, I think, alcoholic relationship where we met and we were glued together so quickly because we were both attracted to each other's illness. And as we get recovery and sort of detach from our own illnesses, you know, then we're left with, with building a new relationship, which is scary, but it's also really nice. Yeah, I, I totally connect with that. And my wife and I are further along in our relationship, but at the same time, it's, you know, it's 10 years young because that's how long she's been sober. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think it's almost harder than if we had come together 10 years ago because there's the previous 25 years of building a different relationship of building a, um, right. a somewhat dysfunctional relationship. Uh, and, and so one of the things that, that I am looking forward, wanting, let's see, progress that I look forward to. Yeah. Is, is in deepening and strengthening, you know, that relationship and it's got a good foundation. There's some cracks in the foundation, but, and it's just the doing the work in front of me and recognizing when, when I'm not doing that mm-hmm. and the, the tools of, of Al-Anon give me some ability to recognize when I'm falling back into old behavior, when I'm um, sabotaging my own efforts by not being as open, not being as connected, not being as thoughtful, I guess. Yeah. And I think what you said about you have the experience of prior to 10 prior to the past 10 years. And I imagine that's quite challenging because, you know, I have just a short experience with my husband prior to when he was in recovery, but you know, the first year was quite hard for him and it's difficult for me to say, okay, this is now, this isn't then he's reacting with his, you know, with his program in place now, not the way he was then. So I hate to say this, but I can only imagine what it's like when it's been, (laughs) <laughs> when it's been many, many years and then that changes. Cause I, I can identify with what you're saying. It hasn't been, you know, he and I have not been together overall four years. Yeah. Um, I also have seen, seen in myself growth and in, in my ability to be with myself, to not have to be busy all the time doing something to distract me from mm-hmm. the noise inside my head or the silence inside my head, which both of which are, 
you know, maybe not somewhere I want to be. And I, and I have hope that that will continue to, uh, you know, to get better, especially as I say, as I move from what, since I was six years old, I was in school and then I was working. There was never a time when I didn't have something, some part of my life that was organized, essentially organized by other people or for the benefit of other people. And that's going to be not true in a short while. And if I can't live with myself, that's going to be really tough. So I, I'm, I'm grateful that I have the tools of the program to, to help me get to the place where I can, I can do that. And, you know, it won't be just with me, obviously, assuming that we both continue to live uh, full lives. Um, well, uh, there will be other, another person, at least in my life and my children occasionally, and, and maybe a dog. Uh, we haven't, you know, we started saying our dog's getting old. Like, what's, what are we going to do? Are we going to get a new dog? Don't know. Because he brings so much, but at the same time, um, they, it, it puts a little crimp. I mean, not as much as children, but <laughs> can't, uh, can't just do, do things arbitrarily, like got to come home and let the dog out and feed him and all that. You know, it's easier with a cat, I guess. I don't know. Anyway, so. If you were talking to somebody who was new in the program and maybe somebody had read this statement in a meeting and this person said, what does that mean? How, how can that be true? That there's no way that's going to be true for me. What would you say? I, I think, you know, I was thinking about this when I read the questions earlier and I, this might sound kind of trite, but I really believe it's like, keep coming back. It works if you work it. And then today I went to a really fabulous meeting. And another, another thing I heard was that like your cells change. And when your cells change, your way of thinking changes. And I know it's very hard in the beginning. It's really, really hard. But if, if you stick with it and you get a sponsor and you do the work, which is also, I mean, for me, it was challenging because I have enough work. I want to now start doing more work and, you know, past, past to recover, not paths to recovery blueprint blueprint for progress is not a short book. It is not a short book. (laughs) And I just would say like, just do the work because as with, I think anything in our lives, if you do the work, you get out of it as much as you put in. And yeah, I really, I mean, I started with one sponsor and that didn't work out. And now I've been with another sponsor and my working with her takes a bit of a different, this might be off topic, but I know a lot of people speak to their sponsors pretty frequently. I mm-hmm. see her once a week and we go through the steps and I update her on my week. And if something's really upsetting, I call her. But yeah. for the most part, I rely on my other friends and program. And this has been a huge lesson for me that I needed to learn as a newcomer, that you don't have to get everything from one person. That it's important to have many, many um, relationships. So I guess for the newcomer, it's also to try and make one or two friends for now in the beginning of people that you just like being around. Yeah, thanks. Um, I was thinking about that. And one of the things that I would fall back to uh, is something that, that one of my sponsors who is also in another program and I heard his, his open talk uh, in that other program. And at the end he, he said, if you're new here, you may not believe that this program can help you, but I hope you believe that it helped me. I hope you understand that you heard that it helped me. And that I know for me at the beginning when I didn't believe as our opening promise that I could find, what does it say? Contentment and even happiness, whether the alcoholic is still drinking or not. I was like, no way that is never going to happen for me. But then I saw people for whom that was true. And so I could see that, that it was coming true for other people, that it was true for other people. And that, that gave me a measure of hope that maybe it could be true for me. I really feel like an enormous sense of gratitude. You start to hear that in the beginning, people saying grateful for the program. And, you know, I, I truly am. I, 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 as I intimated earlier with leaving work, I mean, quitting work was coupled with suffering and depression over the summer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it wasn't very serious, but it was serious enough that I had to take a medical leave 
And I was in meetings five days a week. And, you know, amongst all of the things that I was doing to work to get better, one of the primary things was, was using this program. And I don't think that I would have been able to get where I am now and really see that is in the past and be able to deal with these feelings if they come up, if I was not in, in the, in the program and having just, you know, having structure to how to deal with feelings. I didn't have that as a kid. I didn't know what to do if I didn't feel good or if I was unhappy or I was sad, I just knew to stuff it and, and work harder. And so I also think for the newcomer, like, cause I see a lot of people, you know, I'm not in an active situation and I didn't come in in an active situation, but I think this program can really help all aspects of our lives. And, you know, it helped me. I was sick. I was very sick over the summer and I'm not sick anymore. And I'm going through a pretty challenging period with being unemployed and, you know, the, the, the uncertainty that goes with that. And it's not, I'm not having these like sort of negative depressive emotions. I mean, I have days that are more difficult than others, but I don't, I'm really able to rely on this program to support me. And I think for newcomers, that's, another message is that if you, if you work it, the program will give back to you when you need it. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. Thank you. After a short break, we will continue with our lives in recovery, where we talk about how recovery works in our daily lives and in our meetings. So for this episode, I decided to go back to uh, your music suggestions uh, for just general recovery songs. The first one, which you can listen to at therecoveryshow.com slash 144. The song is The Weight. It's by The Band. And yes, they were really just called The Band. Those of you of my generation undoubtedly remember them. And this song was suggested by Joseph. Uh, he said it's a song that feels good. In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery, about what's happening in our meetings and our lives this week, how we practice these principles in all our affairs. And Brooke, how was your, uh, your week? It's very busy. If you do a job search the right way, you're very busy and it's very tiring because I'm constantly meeting new people and always having to be, um, you know, selling myself and it's tiring. Mm. I'm happy that the emotion that I feel is, or this this sense of tired is that what I feel and not a sense of hopelessness. So I'm grateful for that. And I'm using a lot the the slogan easy does it to make sure that I don't overdo it because as a Alanonic and an ACOA, I have a tendency of overdoing things. So today I really, I really made a, cons- I have a, a, two interviews tomorrow and that's a big, that's a lot. And I'm surrounded in this outplacement with people who are spending 40 hours a week on, on job search. And I'm really, like I said, relying on easy does it and trying to move away from compared despair and knowing that I can't do that much of it. So today I made an effort not to do anything related to, well, I couldn't get away with doing nothing, but really went to therapy, went to a meeting, got a massage to make sure I'm doing the things that, that nurture and fulfill me and not overdoing it. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I chair my Saturday meeting and I had a speaker there and she, she talked a lot about how she was a professional caretaker and, but then couldn't take care of herself and was like able to do things. She was a used to be an agent for photographers and artists and she was able to do everything to make their careers go well, but then she had nothing left for herself. When she talks about that, it seemed to speak to a lot of people in the meeting. There are also, you know, in that meeting wide age range, but there are a few old timers who are, who were taking care of alcoholic loved ones who are suffering from dementia Hmm. or other alcohol related illnesses. And, you know, I think that that spoke volumes about how important it is that we take care of us first. Yeah, totally relate. I, I think I'll share a little bit. Uh, we're uh, we're recording this on Tuesday, and so I haven't had a whole lot of time since the last time I, I talked on the podcast. But I talked um, in last week's episode about uh, 
my experience getting an MRI and how I was feeling the pain and then that came with having my nerve pinched as I lay in the MRI tray. Mm. And then Sunday night, after I had finished recording the podcast, I uh, went to a meeting and the reading was basically about how how we can take the pain in our lives and turn it into suffering that we can, you know, hash it over in our heads and and go down what if roads and just um, really make it a lot more painful. And I thought that I tried to apply that as I was as I was lying there. Um, you know, this is pain. This pain is inevitable. Um, but you know, I don't have to to wallow in it. I don't have to make it worse. And so it was a good reminder after the fact that, yeah, I was, I was trying to follow the principles of the program while I was, while I was there. And you know, when, when stuff is just, when it, when it really hurts, whether it's physical pain or emotional pain, it is so hard sometimes to pull out your tools and use them. One of the first episodes I listened to of the podcast, there was, you had a guest and she said something like, pain is something, but suffering is optional. Pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. Yeah. Yeah, that that phrase came out in the in the meeting on Sunday, definitely, and and it's true. We can make our pain a lot worse. We so mm. so can make our pain worse, um, and, and more more on the emotional level maybe than on the physical level. But yeah, maybe that's what I'm trying to do with my whole process here is not make not make the this is it's. I think I've gotten over the pain, and now I'm just used to living in the pain of it. But I'm not trying to suffer. And, um, you know, I'm in, an env- in a job search group in that environment can breed a lot of fear and the fear is contagious. Yeah. And, you know, I guess the suffering is contagious. And I've made a conscious effort to create like my own invisible boundary. The, pe- the people in the job search group go out every Thursday after the job search, after the group, and I don't go. And, you know, I was thinking, oh, I'm not part of the group, but emotionally I can't go. Like I don't want to be around people who are talking about this on my Thursday evening. So what I've done is made plans with other friends. So when the topic comes up, I, you know, are you going? I just say, you know, I have, I'm seeing this person or I have this to do because I just know it's not, it's not healthy for me to be, you know, maybe for other people it works, but for me it wouldn't work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It sounds like you're, You've really been focusing the program on finding what you need to do to to take care of yourself um, at the, at this time, and that's that's one of the really the things that I definitely learned in the program as well. Oh, I know what I was thinking um, about about getting over versus getting through. Mm-hmm. Um, that sometimes we just have to get through things. If I think, well, I need to get over this. To me, that's a way of more sitting in the problem rather than moving forward and getting through. Mm. And and there are some things you just don't get over. You don't get over the death of a loved one, but you can get through and you can come to a point where, you know, life is, is okay again. But it's, it's that pain is still there. You can go back and touch it again. If I wait till I'm over something like that, not going to happen. But if I oh. use, if I use the tools of the program, to get through, to continue to, to, to live my life, to continue to find gratitude for the things that are there on a daily basis, I will get through without, you know, destroying myself. Yeah. One thing I've been trying to figure out how to try to apply the program is that, you know, my, my default in a lot of work situations and in this situation as well as to go in and you know, do what I need to do and be polite to people, but not really be outgoing. And, you know, I think it comes off as being aloof and I don't want that. And so I'm really struggling because I, I, I don't want to come off as aloof. I want to come on, come off as one as part of things, but how do I do that without um, risking my serenity and putting me, you know, in situations where I'm just not, you know, I, I just not capable of dealing with, with the, the emotions and the dynamic of the group. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm continuing to work the way I used to work. And I don't know, if, uh, hopefully my higher power will give me some other skills, but I do reach out to people on an individual basis. 
And this has always been something I've struggled with. I can reach out to people on an individual basis, but being in the group is really hard. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And knowing that about yourself, then let you set boundaries, right? Yeah. I've set boundaries and the people in the group who I do have a connection with, I do spend time with them outside of, outside of the group. And, you know, I hope that as I continue to work on the work, the program, I'll find a way to balance, balance my ability to be in a group where I'm slightly uncomfortable versus my need to really detach from it. But, you know, Mm -hmm. I also have to say that's me and I love me and I'm happy that I'm aware of it and I haven't, and I've accepted it. I just don't know what action to take. Maybe, maybe nothing right now, you know? Right. Don't just do something, stand there. Is that the expression? Right. All right. Hey, thanks so much for your time, for reaching out to me. I really appreciate that. You're welcome. Okay. Bye-bye. This is Spencer again, a little bit later in the week, thinking back over the rest of my week. And my Saturday morning meeting, my step meeting, we were on step three, and I couldn't help but think back to the open talk I posted recently about the God of our understanding and in particular about that question that the, the one fellow was asked by his sponsor about step three, which is why, why do you want to do step three? And to which his answer, his sponsor's answer was, because your way ain't working. You know, to me, that's really the key. The key to doing step three, the key to keeping step three in my life is to remember that in general, uh, my way wasn't working. That as, as I've heard Many of my AA friends say, first thought wrong. If I go with my, my reaction, my first inclination, it very often is not the best route for me. It's not the best route for the people, uh, other people in whatever situation I might be in at that moment. And that I need to pause. I need to pause for reflection. I need to pause to listen for that still small voice. I need to pause to Remember what, what the program tells me. Maybe easy does it. Maybe one day at a time. Maybe first things first. Maybe it ain't none of your business, which I don't think that's quite a slogan, but I'm sure there's something close. Maybe that goes with first things first. Do the next right thing. Um, so step three, important. Um, it was a good meeting. And then uh, went to a meeting last night where we had a couple of newcomers uh, so we did a first step and happen to be at that table. Um, and that's always valuable. Always valuable to remind me where I came from to see maybe in what newcomers are struggling with, to see an echo of my own, my own recovery and to be there for them. Um, because as I said a few weeks ago in the we episode, one of the, real keys of the program is that we are not alone, that we are doing this together. And just as people were there for me, I need to be there for people who are, are coming into Al-Anon with that same pain that I had. Upcoming topics, I'm still putting together an episode on recovery and divorce and thinking about some other topics. And I know some of you have written in with suggestions and we will, we will get to them. But you, you can join this conversation. You can join it with your voice by calling and leaving a voicemail at 734-707-8795. Or you can use the voicemail button on the website, either um, on the front page if you're on your computer or if you're on your phone and you scroll almost all the way to the bottom. Or by going to our contact page at therecoveryshow.com slash contact or click contact us in the menu at the top of the page. You'll also find our email address there, which is feedback at therecoveryshow.com if you prefer not to use your voice uh, to, uh, to join into the conversation here. You share your experience, strength, and hope or ask questions. You can find all the information about the show at our website, therecoveryshow.com, which includes notes for each episode and a blog with occasional meditations links to the music we talk about. We've also got links to other recovery podcasts and websites that we like. And of course, you can join the conversation um, more completely by being a guest host. Information about that is on the contact page 
at therecoveryshow.com slash contact. We will take a short break before we look at the mailbag and our, our second musical selection, which is available on the website, is Inner Ninja by Classified. Susan suggested this song, saying it reminds her of her recovered self. couple of emails, one from Faye who writes, Hi Spencer, I rarely, if ever, write into podcast shows, but I want to tell you how much your open talk on intimacy helped me understand what I've been doing to my wife. I conducted many emotional affairs trying to get intimacy when my wife was wanting it with me. I'm working harder to be open with her, and it really helped to hear you talk about this thing. Thanks so much, Faye. You know, that's, that's why we do this thing, because... Our experience will touch some of you, will touch you maybe today and give you some some hope, give you a path forward or just give you insight. And I know that's that's been true for me so many times at meetings, at talks. So whatever little I can give back, um, it's definitely worth it for me. Greg writes in, Hi Spencer, many thanks for posting that NA recording. I heard it on another Recovery podcast channel last weekend. It's a magnificent recording and I got a lot out of it. I like getting outside the Al-Anon program into the other 12-step groups. Hearing about those outside issues and what life in the rock can be like really expands my perspective. I had been intending to write about intimacy and anonymity, but I found the episode 143 mailbox spoke to me a lot more. I'm living in the emotional desert as well. My wife of 20 years has been increasingly emotionally closed off for nearly the last 10, many years of which included alcoholic drinking. Al-Anon saved me from an affair. I was just a few weeks away from consummating it when the program started sinking in, so in the two years since, I'm learning how to have a grown-up relationship. I don't know the future of our marriage, but my fourth step and work since has made my contributions to the situation more clear. Emotional abuse, demands, sexual and otherwise, Neglect and manipulation for selfish ends. She is not drinking now, but there is no outrageous behavior, just the emotional and physical closed-off shut-down distance from our daughter and I, which is the perfect screen to show me my own emotional cravings and attachments that have been with me for a lifetime. Step 9 tells me I must do no more harm. Instead, I must accept life as it is and see what I may add to it. It's maybe not the functional marriage I'd rather have. Could be she would say the same. I don't see any justice in talking about separation over lack of intimacy when my claw marks are all over the problems we have. Instead, my living amends are to be a loving husband, not a sex-obsessed teen in a late 40s body. Thanks again, Spencer. Your episodes are always timely and precisely on point. Good luck with your neck. Regards, Greg. Thank you, Greg, for, you know, sharing, again, sharing your experience. It uh, gives a slightly different perspective. I love the... uh, sex-obsessed teen in a late 40s body. I can I can connect with that, although I'm no longer in my late 40s. And this uh, statement of or, or phrase, my claw marks are all over the problems we have, and that is something that, that the program has brought me to recognize as well. So thanks for sharing. I want to thank Wendy from Canada um, for a review on iTunes titled Forever Grateful. Wendy writes, I'm a grateful member of Al-Anon, and this podcast has become an important tool in my recovery. Thank you to Spencer and all of the co-hosts who are brave enough to share their experience, strength, and hope. And I have to echo that. I really need to thank all the people that have done this with me, because number one, it would have been really hard to do it without y'all. And number two, I think you bring, I know you bring your own perspective, your own experience, and really help to, to broaden and to deepen Um, what we do here. iTunes reviews and ratings do make us easier to find by those in need who are seeking recovery. And also, uh, subscribing on iTunes also helps to to keep us visible and findable. So if you haven't subscribed and you're on, you know, an Apple device, please go to iTunes and subscribe. It doesn't cost you anything to listen to The Recovery Show, but we do have expenses which run about $60 a month. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear. We have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly, just like Lucy, Gregory, and Faye did. And thank you again. Thank you so much for those contributions and that support. 
Our last song selection is Lost in My Mind by the Head and the Heart. Kathleen suggested this, she writes, I love this song for its tone of compassion for overthinking and obsessive thinking. It was a theme song in the movie Silver Lining Playbook, and I just heard it performed by staff and some patients at a charity event at the mental health facility Skyland Trail in Atlanta, Georgia. It was a very powerful moment for me as an Al-Anon and a mom of a daughter with bipolar disorder. Thanks, Kathleen, for that suggestion. Thank you for listening, and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time.